You're listening to a Roddenberry Podcast. Robert Urich had been a TV staple for over a decade. Young, handsome, and talented, he had steady work through the 70s. After making an impression with the series Vegas, and since the studio had Yurik under contract, they began looking to put him on the big screen. With the second two Star Wars movies burning up Hollywood, sci-fi was a hot ticket, and Yurik found himself cast as the lead in a swashbuckling tale of swords and robots. I'm Earl Green, and this is your Sci-Fi 5, five minutes of science fiction history for March 16th. And today, we skate across the thin ice that was 1984's Ice Pirates. Yurik wasn't expected to carry the film alone. He was joined by John Carradine and Angelica Houston. It was also an early outing for Ron Perlman, who would later garner attention in The Name of the Rose. Max von Sydow also puts in a cameo appearance late in the film. Writer Stanford Sherman and Stuart Raphill claimed they intentionally didn't watch Star Wars before writing the initial script. So a cast with no real sci-fi experience, just like Star Wars, with swords, robots, and a princess, just like Star Wars, loosely based on Jason and the Argonauts, just like Star Wars' famous mythological roots. What could go wrong? Buckle up, it's going to be a bumpy ride. With a $20 million budget, The Water Planet was intended as a serious sci-fi movie. Sherman had written for the original Batman series, The Man from U.N.C.L.E., and Krull. Raphil was no writing slouch either. The banks, however, set an $8 million cap on all MGM productions. MGM had to slash the budget, but they needed it to still be a hit. Raphil, who was also directing, proposed rewriting it as a comedy to help cut costs. Just as production began, MGM hired Frank Yablons as the new studio head. The story goes that Yablons happened to hate Ice Pirates producer John Foreman. Something about Foreman punching him for insulting Joanne Woodward. Yablons wanted to kill the project, but money was already being spent. He settled for making Foreman's job difficult. Raphil said repeatedly they were just trying to make a funny movie. You'd think that would be easy with Hollywood joke writer Bruce Valanche playing a small part in the movie, but few of the jokes were laugh-out-loud funny, and some have really not aged well, like Yurik complaining that the pirates used to rape and pillage when he has to leave the princess unmolested in suspended animation, or Michael D. Roberts being selected as a house eunuch because he'll go with the wallpaper. The movie can almost be credited as early steampunk. The art department budget, having been slashed, used anything they could find to dress the ships. The intention was to give them a run-down mechanical look with an 80s sensibility, which meant lots of cushions. That budget awareness is visible throughout the movie. Today, the costumes scream 1980s. Back then, they were what could be put together for not much money. There are miles of metallic fabrics, lots of plastics, and shoulder pads you could land helicopters on. A careful eye will spot light fixtures from Star Trek The Next Generation. At least a couple of places in the movie you can spot vehicles from Logan's Run in the background, and the pirates are finally captured as they head toward a domed city, which was actually footage from Logan's Run. The studio fired the sound crew halfway through production with no explanation. They would shoot scenes only to find them taken out later by editors on orders from studio heads. 
Eventually, the film was finished and released. Unfortunately, it was late to the space adventure genre, and moviegoers' attention was lagging. It also hit theaters at almost the exact same time as The Last Starfighter, which featured cutting-edge computer graphics. Ice Pirates did recoup its investment in the end, but it was far from the hit MGM had hoped for. Today it holds a unique position on Rotten Tomatoes at 50%, which means the odds are even whether you'll enjoy it or not. This has been 5 Minutes of Science Fiction History, your daily Sci-Fi 5 for March 16th. Sci-Fi 5 is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.